Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Best. Bloomberg Best is about the insight and the context that we get from our guests. It's a great way to catch up on some of the stories you might have missed on the Bloomberg. Stories you're not going to find in any other news organization. Bloomberg Best. Bloomberg's best stories of the week. Powered by 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries around the world. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. On this weekend edition of Bloomberg Best. I had my food awakening where I, I really understood for the first time that what you ate affected how you felt. John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods. I asked my girlfriend living in the co-op whether we ought to start up our own little store. And she said she thought that would be a lot of fun, cool. The birth of the nation's biggest natural foods chain. Turned out that it wasn't just selling food to hippies. And how it turned out to be so much bigger. All this and more coming up in the next hour of Bloomberg Best. All right, Ed, I want to get right to it because what a story. Let's go back now to 1978, 1978, 1978 in Austin, Texas. Yeah, and uh, David Rubenstein asked John Mackey what propelled him to start Safer Way and then Whole Foods after dabbling at being a college student. And here's what Mackey said on the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations. What propelled you to start Safer Way and then Whole Foods? I mean, you were at the University of Texas, and did you drop out to do this? I dropped out of school like six times. I've got 120 hours of electives. I just studied whatever I was interested in. But I did not drop out to start this company. I was living in a vegetarian co-op when I was 23 years old. And that's when I I had my food awakening, where I, I really understood for the first time that what you ate affected how you felt and your health and your longevity. And then I became the food buyer at that co-op. And then I went to work for a small natural food store in Austin. And I had found the purpose of my life. I was on fire for healthy eating, organic and natural foods. Came home one day and asked my girlfriend living in the co-op whether we ought to start up our own little store. And she said she thought that would be a lot of fun, cool. And uh, six months later, we'd raised $45,000 from friends and family. And we found a location, a small store location in Austin, and we were in business. So when you started the company, though, did you have the vision of building a global or national company? Or did you just say, I'll do a couple stores? What was your original vision? My original vision was to break even. (laughs) We were losing money when we started out. The first year, we raised $45,000 in capital. We managed to lose 23,000 of it. So we were lucky to survive. We did much better in the second year, relocated to Whole Foods. No, we had no grand vision. The best way to understand it is we were just passionate about selling natural and organic foods. There was no, we weren't, we weren't, we didn't take any business classes. We, we didn't have, we weren't MBAs. We just were passionate. We were on fire. We were young. I was 24 years old when we started the first store. Renee was 20. So we were just having an adventure. We were, we were playing and having a grocery store. It was so much fun. And, the, and then we started learning business and we got pretty good at it. And then we started to grow it. 
I, I will tell you a story, David. So when we did our IPO in 1992, you know, one of the things that the investors want to know, they're trying to build a model of your company. So they want to know what's the potential, how big could it be? We had 12 stores when we IPO'd and I thought, I think we could someday have a hundred stores. And, uh, you know, we might even someday, we might even be able to do maybe, maybe a billion dollars in sales someday. Someday we could have that. And they weren't, they weren't that impressed with that. They didn't think that was going to be that big a company. And of course, you know, we're doing 20 billion in sales now and have 520 stores or thereabouts. So I was very wrong about the upward potential of the business. At the time, um, when you were doing this in 78 and early 80s, was uh, natural food well known as what natural food was, or organic foods? What, what, were, what were the view of them then? When we were trying to raise venture capital money, I mean, only we had three venture capitalists that invested and we had a dozen or more turned us down. And I remember one of the guys turning me down saying, yeah, I don't think this business has much of a future. I don't know why he felt so motivated to tell me why he wasn't going to invest, because usually they just say, we're not interested. But he said, I want, I want to explain to you. And he said, you guys are just a bunch of hippies and you're selling food to other hippies. I ran into that guy like eight years later. He told me that was the biggest mistake he'd ever made in his venture capital career. Turned out that it wasn't just selling food to hippies, that it, it caught on in the, in the upper middle class and then, and then it spread from there. And, and, uh, and yeah, the rest is history, as they say. So when you dropped out of college, did you say to your father, I'm, I'm going to be like Mark uh, Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, and I'm going to build a big company? And did he have a lot of confidence in you to do that? Well, Mark Zuckerberg wasn't alive when I started the company, so he wouldn't have referred to him. And Bill Gates was just started Microsoft two years before I started Saferway. So my dad would never have heard of that. Um, my dad was very supportive. Uh, he he, he was, just wanted his son to do something he was passionate about that I really... He could see I was very excited about this. So he was actually very supportive. In the early years, he helped you somewhat as an accounting professor. He gave you some advice. My dad was my mentor. Uh, since I didn't have that business background, I always say that from the year 1978 to 1994, I never made a move at Whole Foods without checking with my dad. In 1994, I had turned 40 years old and uh, we'd gone public two years before. And my dad was now wealthy you know, on paper with the Whole Foods stock that he had bought. And he wanted to hold on to what he had. And I wanted to grow the business. I just thought we can really grow this thing. And so we had a, we used to fight in our board meetings. We were screaming at each other, public board meetings. And finally I said, dad, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell half of your stock tomorrow. I'm firing. I don't want you on the board anymore. I want you to sell half your stock tomorrow and take the other half and leave it in the company because we're gonna grow Whole Foods, it's gonna be a big enterprise someday. So he did that, very took my advice, sold half the stock the next day. He was very hurt, his feelings were hurt. I remember him telling me, I said, I'm 40 years old, I'm ready to run the company by myself without you. And he said, 40 years old? You don't know anything, you're only 40. <laughs> you know, it turned out he was right. I didn't know very much when I was 40. I know a lot more today than I knew then. But he was wrong about the potential growth of Whole Foods because the company took off after that and he made a lot more money on that half that he kept in. So when you're growing the company and making it to a national company and a well-known brand, was the biggest problem that people still weren't convinced that uh, natural foods and organic foods were good for you? Was it that the price you had to charge was somewhat more expensive than, let's say, Safeway? Or was it the Safeways of the world that were going to compete with you and they were going to have organic foods? Or was it just getting cash from investors to help you grow? What were the biggest problems? 
The biggest problem was the limitation of the marketplace initially, because the con it's a consciousness thing. So if when we opened up in a in a hip area where you had a lot of uh, younger sort of counterculture people, the store or Bohemian people, the stores would take off from the very beginning. But when we, when we went into suburb, like when we opened a store in in Greenville Avenue in Dallas, it took off. But when we went up to Richardson, a suburb in North Dallas, uh, back this 1988, it was really slow. The store started really slow. The suburban stores just didn't have enough what we call natural food consciousness to really be successful. It took us years to grow those those businesses. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. Now, when Whole Foods came along, and it was very popular in many areas, it became known in some circles as Whole Paycheck. I'm sure you've heard that before. And so that the implication was that your prices were expensive. But um, I assume that your response is, but you're selling higher quality or more complicated things, and your prices are not a, a big drag on your overall ability to get people to come into the store. Is that right? It's a, it's a very good question. Of course, I do hear that all the time, and it's 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 a little bit of a complex answer. So for most of our history, in the 40-year history, we probably only got serious competition in the last 15 years. So the first 25 years we existed, very few people sold the same products that we sold. So um, that was no big deal. But then as we got more successful, we got more competition, and one of the ways they competed with us was to undercut us in price. And of course, one of the things Whole Foods knows it needs to do is it needs to meet the competitive marketplace in terms of price. And that is one of the reasons we wanted to merge or sell to Amazon, is, is Jeff and his team think long-term. So it was gonna be very difficult for us to lower our prices and hold on to our company. Because it was when you lower prices initially, it actually hurts your sales and hurts your profitability. Something you were selling for a dollar, now you're selling for 90 cents. So it looks like your business is declining. Now you'll get it back over time as people realize that they get better prices, but it's a painful transition. Now with Amazon, we've already dropped our prices three times and we're gonna keep dropping them. So Amazon, is a net, that's another great benefit of the merger for us. We are getting more and more price competitive and Amazon is willing to be patient and let that play out over time. So uh, a couple years ago, uh, you had, as you wrote in your, in your book on conscious leadership, a, a hedge fund, kind of an activist hedge fund came along and they were agitating for a higher price. And ultimately, you looked at some alternatives and one of them that seemed the best was selling to Amazon. Is that right? That's correct. We had, uh, the, the activist investors, Jana Partners, wanted to, I met with them and they basically said, we're going to take over your board and, and we're going to throw you out. And we're going to sell the company. So why don't you just save us all a lot of, a lot of anguish and just, let's just agree to do that. And so of course we, we didn't want to sell the company uh, to the highest bidder. And we had to think about our different alternatives. So one was going private potentially. Another one was to put the company in friendly hands. Like we contacted Warren Buffett, for example. Um, another one was to maybe fight Jana and fight to maintain control. 
And then as I was trying to think about what the best solution was, one morning I woke up, I just woke up and it, and it popped in my brain. What about Amazon? What about Amazon? I'd met Jeff a year before, really admire him, still do. Uh, I thought these guys would be perfect. I've, I've heard they want to get into the grocery business. This would be a, a, a good opportunity for them to get into it. Their technology could help Whole Foods. So we contacted Amazon. A couple days later, we flew up to Seattle, met with Jeff and his team. We had an amazing first conversation, lasted about three hours. It was like we were finishing each other's sentences, all the things we could do together. We got super excited. Just a few days after that, they sent a whole team to Austin to continue the conversations. Six weeks after that first meeting, we'd signed a, a merger agreement. We'd negotiated the price, signed the merger agreement, and, and we, were, we were on our way. So every acquisition looks great at the time you do them. Now you've had a couple years behind you. Is it working out, and are you happy with it? You know, the metaphor I like to use for a merger uh, is it's, uh, it's like a marriage, particularly between big companies. So we had a love at first sight and a whirlwind romance. So it's a fair question to ask, how's that working out now? All, it's about three years later now, as a matter of fact. And is, is it perfect? You know, no. It's like I, I sometimes say when people ask me this question, I say, you know, do I love absolutely everything about my wife? I've been, I've been married 30 years. And the answer is no. I love about 98%, but it's 2% that, you know, really bothers me. And I'd say it's kind of similar with Amazon. Do we love everything about Amazon? No, nah, there's about 2% we don't love, but we love almost everything. 98% is pretty good. That's a pretty good marriage. And, and Amazon, the merger is working out great for us. We're a much better company today than we were pre-Amazon. So uh, Amazon's about getting people to buy things and ship into their home. You've been about getting people to come into your stores and buy a lot of things that they might see while they're walking around. So is that a different kind of culture? And how's it worked out in that respect? There's overlap in the cultures. We're both very customer focused. There are differences in cultures, but one of the things that Amazon has done, which has been fantastic, and one reason the mergers worked well, they respect our culture. They're not trying to change our culture. Now, our culture is changing because we're taking on lots of attributes that Amazon has, and that has a change in our culture, but they're not forcing us or coercing us. We're doing it voluntarily because to make our company better. So that's why we're evolving, but I think in a healthy, constructive way. People ask me, hey, John, if you could do it all over again, would you make the same decision? And the answer is yes, we'd make the exact same decision. So I know whenever I go to Whole Foods, which is about a mile from my house, and I go there very frequently, they always ask me, are you a Prime member? So has being Prime helped a lot in your business, uh, the Prime membership uh, club? A high percentage of our customers are Prime members, and so they like that. Now, there is a minority of customers who are not, and, and of course, every time they get asked if they're a Prime member, of course, they don't necessarily like that they keep you know, getting asked that question. Um, but on balance, remember, the majority of our transactions are coming from Prime members, so that's been, that's been a good thing for them. They're getting better prices and uh, better deals. The main way Amazon's helped Whole Foods, though, is technology. I mean, particularly now with COVID, the amount of deliveries that we're doing and pick up, store pickups and deliveries, I mean, it's tripled in the last year. I mean, we're doing a large percentage of our business online now. And we didn't really have, but it's a small percentage before Amazon uh, uh, acquired us. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So let's talk about COVID for a moment. Um, when COVID came, uh, many people were worried that retail stores would have to shut down, but actually food retail stores have benefited, you could argue, because people need to eat a lot more, I guess, or at least they're going out to buy staples. What was it like to manage under COVID at the outset? So the main thing to understand is almost all food retailer sales are up, primarily because restaurant sales are down so much, right? People aren't eating out as much, so they're eating at home more. And that's been good for pretty much all food retailers. That's been good for Whole Foods as well. Maybe a little bit less good for us because we do a lot of prepared foods in our stores. And so that's way down. People are not going to our salad bars, our hot food bars. They're, they're not going in our, our offices are shut down around our stores. So we're not getting that traffic that we used to get in. But on the other hand, overall sales are up substantially because everything else is up so much. Has it made the way you're gonna manage in the future different? Uh, again, it's helped us tremendously for being online sales. And, and so, and that will continue. I, I don't, we'll ever, we won't go back to, once people get a taste of that, they like it. In Amazon, if you're a Prime member, delivery's free. So I think that's going to be a permanent shift for uh, many people. You know, the hardest thing about managing the business now, it's, it's, there's an element of fear, right? People are scared of the virus. Everybody's masked up. We require masks for all of our team members and all customers. And those masks, if you're, I'm in Austin, it's 100 degrees outside right now, and wearing a mask around is not, not very fun or pleasant thing to do. Um, and people have been shut down in their homes, and that's, you know, we see what's happening, there's unrest around the country. So it's been a hard, this is, this is I don't know about you, but I'd have to say 2020 is the weirdest year of my entire life. When you go to a Whole Foods anywhere in the country, you have about 500 stores or so in the country now. I assume you're instantly recognized. They have a picture of you there when you walk in so they know who you are. Now I go in, I'm wearing a mask. Nobody knows who I am. I'm in, I'm in, I have a perfect disguise. But no, they recognize me, mostly because uh, they know I'm coming, generally. I, 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 I do some surprise visits occasionally, and it's just... But I get recognized very quickly. So when you go in and you, you say, well, this is not uh, set up the right way or you should charge something different, do they listen to you? You know what I've learned, David? I've learned painfully that uh, whether I like it or not, I'm the father of Whole Foods. And the team members really want dad to love the store. So I've learned to, to sort of moderate my criticisms because they really tried to make the store look good because they knew I was coming. So I just try to stay positive and connect with the people and then maybe after I leave, I will tell the, the leadership of the region, I didn't like this, this, or this. You've built one of the most famous companies in the United States, uh, but you don't, you don't own a lot of it relative to what some of the other founders of large companies have done. If, does that make you uh, lose sleep at night, or are you okay with that? You know, something I learned pretty early in life, one of the most destructive emotions there is in the world is envy. Envy will poison your soul. I learned to deal with envy, envy of people envying me, and I learned to deal with my own envy a long time ago. And it's far better to, to just be grateful. I've had an amazing life. I am a very wealthy man by any objective standard. So there are people wealthier than me. There are other entrepreneurs that made more money. So what? I mean, I have everything I need or could ever want. 
So greed, okay. envy, those things poison our souls. And so I have, there's no place for envy. I'm happy for them. I'm happy that they've had successful lives. And uh, yeah, so have I. Life is good. In your book, you talk about the importance of a certain type of leadership, where you are trying to be a, a, what you call a conscious leader, which is to say, worry about long-term purpose of a company, not just profit. Is that right? Yes. I mean, in the book, we talk about purpose first. Put purpose first. That, that Whole Foods has always been purpose-driven since the very beginning. Uh, we always, um, you know, we wanted to make the world a better place. Natural and organic foods, we wanted people to eat healthy. And then we, what we learned over time is the importance of leading with love, to care about your people. And so we have a chapter about leading with love. And then we learned, of course, the importance of integrity. In business, in life in general, integrity is so important. You have to be, you have to do what you say, you have to be trustworthy, you have to be authentic, you have to be honorable, you have to have honor. Well, you talk a lot about the importance of culture and having a certain culture. You developed a Whole Foods culture. Has it changed under Amazon or you've been able to keep your culture? And what is that culture? Well, cultures are like living, they're like, they're like living entities and uh, they, they change over time, they evolve. So yes, that, that merger three years ago, our culture has evolved in the last three years. But culture comes from your values, it comes from your purpose, and it comes from the way you lead the company, what your leadership principles are. So Whole Foods has a very healthy culture. We were named one of the 100 best companies to work for for 20 consecutive years. And our culture is still very healthy. I will say COVID is challenging the culture. For one thing, we can't get around and visit the stores so easily right now. So more stores are kind of on their own than ever before. And, and wearing a mask every day is stressful for people. And, and so there's a lot of fear and we're in urban areas and there have been a lot of protests this summer. It's a, it's a restless world out there right now. You've been a CEO of this company for 42 years. Um, very few people are CEOs of publicly traded companies or companies as large as yours for that long. Is it your expectation to do this another five, 10, 15 years or what else might you do? Would you go into government? Would you run for office? Would you, what else would you do? I will not run for office and I will not go into government. Think about it this way. Whole Foods is like, I don't have biological children. So Whole Foods is like, it's for me, it's the equivalent of it's my child. It's kind of grown up now, right? It's, a, it's not a baby anymore, but parents love their children their whole lives, even when they're grown up. Um, I will leave Whole Foods sometime in the next few years. I haven't announced the retirement date yet. And COVID, I'm, you know, COVID is... It's a crisis, so I, I'm dealing with the crisis here for that. And uh, uh, I always make this joke that it's like Whole Foods is my daughter, and I literally married my daughter off to the richest man in the world. And uh, I just kind of came along to, to make sure the marriage settled in well. And I've, I'm still here, but I know that the time will come eventually for me to leave. It's just not yet, and I'm not quite sure when it will be. So what I tell people all the time is the hardest thing in life is to be happy. Happiness is the most elusive thing in life, and you seem like a very happy person. The secret to happiness is gratitude. Right. You wrote that in your book. Yes. Gratitude. And it was like you asked me that question earlier about, you know, how do you feel? You could have made a lot more money as big as your corporation is. Other entrepreneurs make more money. Envy poisons happiness. Gratitude is the key. I'm grateful for what I have, not envious for what I don't have. I mean, I have good health, I have an amazing marriage, I have great friends, I have this amazing business that I'm part of. I have materially and financially everything I'll ever need. 
life is blessing. It's, I'm just so happy to be alive. It's an amazing, life is beautiful and amazing, and I'm just grateful every day, and I get up happy to be alive, and, and uh, so there you, there you have it. That's my key. Well, you should bottle that and put that in your, in your stores. If I could bottle that, I would be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to John Mackey, CEO at Whole Foods, on the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations. And that's it for this hour of Bloomberg Best. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.